Hey guys, today we have a real treat for you. Have you ever wondered how people actually can get money for their business, for their investments, for any kind of things where it's not just a few thousand dollars that you can maybe get from a credit card? Our awesome guest today, Kelly Winget, is actually an expert in that and she's been doing it from the very, very early stages on. So anybody who's interested on finding out where can I get money to get something started, Come to today's shows and see what Kelly has to teach us. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Ideal Investor Show and today we have an awesome guest, Kelly Ann is with us and Kelly Ann, welcome to the show and maybe you tell us a little bit what you do and where you're coming from and how did you get into what you're doing right now? Sure. So I'm Kellyanne Winget. I'm the founder of Alternative Wealth Partners. We're a Dallas-based private equity company that focuses on the private sector. So we manage a diversified alternatives fund. We buy tangible assets, intangible assets that are in the alternative space. So basically anything that isn't involved in the stock markets, stocks, bonds, or currency. That's what our specialty is. And I'm out here trying to educate investors on options outside of the stock market. These are opportunities that most brokers don't have access to and can never talk to you about. They're not standard products that are sold in the financial institutions. So they're kind of like what the family offices and the institutional banks are investing in, and they're not telling individual investors about. So I'm bringing that to the individual investor. Yeah, that's really, really cool. And I'm sure our audience is quite interested. What would qualify? Do you have a few examples of what these alternatives would be? Sure. So oil and gas, even your portfolio in real estate is considered an alternative investment. Cryptocurrency, a lot of the private financing, so any private lending you're doing is considered an alternative. Basically, if you can't buy it on the stock market or trade it in the market, it's going to be considered an alternative. Okay. Yeah, that's very cool. And when somebody were to work with you and you're helping them to do these kind of investments, do they need to be accredited or anything like that? Can you talk a little bit about what are kind of like, or are there any criteria that somebody would have to fulfill or meet before they can say, hey, Kelly, and I would like that too. And then you say, how much money do you have? Right. Well, my firm can only work with accredited investors. That means you have a net worth of a million dollars or income over $200,000 a year for at least the previous two years. But that doesn't necessarily block you from the alternative space. Real estate has basically no barrier of entry. You can invest in any type of real estate with any amount of money. That's usually where people start their journey of building generational wealth for themselves is through real estate. I'm not a huge fan of real estate just because it is super competitive. Me personally, I'm more familiar with other assets. Cryptocurrency doesn't have a barrier of entry, although it's super risky. It is considered an alternative investment and you do not have to be accredited to invest in it. So there are assets that as a non-accredited person, you can participate in, but a majority of the private placement, private asset space, you're going to have to be an accredited investor. Yeah. And there's obviously no bias for a fifth generation oil and gas family, right? <laughs> <laughs> the tax are better, the income's better, there's less, you know, you're not really a landlord. There's a lot of benefits to investing in the oil and gas space, but it is very much a boys club and a family club. And so unless you are five generations in or know somebody who's five generations in, the access to deals is very limited. Yeah, understood. I mean, the audience 
for most part, I'm assuming, at least when they hear that we do a show, are coming from the real estate background. And I agree to some extent with you and have said that many times, but not so much because of being a landlord, but mainly because of the fact that a lot of the people that we work with and I work with live in areas that are expensive or desirable or both. Like I live in San Diego, a whole bunch of people live up and down the West Coast, but as well similar, like people live in big cities or they live on the East Coast and stuff like that, where you just don't find very well-performing assets. And that leads to the strategy that we are using in our real estate investing, and that is focused on turnkey, meaning like you are not really doing these things yourself. And there is a distinct difference. I'm really glad, Kelly, and that you brought that out between the landlord and the owner. Mm -hmm. And so the landlording stuff that a lot of people are rightfully not necessarily super happy about or looking forward to, we turn that over to the turnkey provider with their property management aspect and so forth. And yes, we pay for that certain fee, but on the other hand, that really makes us the owner. And one thing that I said when we just before we started the recording is like kind of apropos when it comes to making funds available, can you talk a little bit? I saw in your bio that you have collected hundreds of millions of dollars of investment funds. I don't know to what extent you could help any of our real estate investors, but can you talk a little bit about what funds people can potentially or how people can potentially find money that is competitively priced, so to speak, especially now when we see that, you know, like the regular markets pricing has gone totally crazy in the last six months. I mean, that's kind of your, you have to choose between being a passive investor and having those things taken care of for you and being an active investor. When you get to a certain net worth, you really want to be in that passive lane, right? Right, right. So you're okay with giving up, you know, high teen double digit returns for the ease of a passive turnkey investment. But when you're kind of in the beginning of your investment journey where you may or may not have the ability to forfeit, you know, five to 7% of your return to somebody else, that's when you get it more into the landlord and the overhead and you're more hands-on with your investment. I've been raising capital a really long time. I have raised about $750 million worth of private capital for basically any deal under the moon. And it really is about finding people who understand what your vision is, whatever the asset is, and building trust. So trust is the most important thing when it comes to people's money. It's one of the most, you know, overprotected things that people own. And having someone give that to you, you really have to build and earn that trust. And you can do that on a massive scale if you are just an authentic, genuine person. So if you are not an authentic, genuine person, you probably shouldn't be managing people's money. But if you are... The people will find you and you'll create a following. And with that comes referral. So in the beginning of my career, it was a lot of, you know, trying to build up a reputation. And at this point, now that I'm managing my own firm and my own money, you know, I get a lot of business through referrals. You know, my clients are like my, this is my friend. This is my mother. This is my father. I get a lot of the capital through those relationships just because I've worked on them for over a decade. Yeah, and that's thank you for describing that because that's I mean, if I would have said, Okay, take my name of the company and plug it into your name, that's exactly how we have been operating. And I think that you didn't say it out loud, but I think to some extent it's not just to be able to facilitate a deal. Mm-hmm. 
But at least as much, I would even go as far as saying more so, it's a matter of did that deal actually fulfill the expectations or maybe even come out better than the expectations. Because when that happens a few times, people want to keep doing those, right? right. <laughs> if you just facilitate the funding, but something is not quite right or it doesn't come out or it doesn't really work or... You know, like I've seen people providing funding for a construction project and it took almost double as long as it was originally anticipated. It didn't make any difference. The interest was paid, the repayment was done, everything was done. It was just, you know, the person had already planned something else to do with the money right. and couldn't get to it and didn't want to let the deal fall through. And the other side was embarrassed that they couldn't meet their timeline and all that kind of stuff. That basically said, okay, we got it done, but that's it, right? We don't want to do it again versus... You do deals and facilitate deals and they actually come together. And in my case, I always feel a little bit like a burden is gone, but I also pride. It's kind of almost on right. balance, right? When, That's when I a relief. Yeah, a for relief, but also pride, right? At least for me, one of our clients got their property and they did the closing and the tenants moved in and they have their cash flow starting to flow. I can't really physically do much on that, but... Mm -hmm. Just go through the journey, go through the process, get to the finish line and accomplish those things. That is also, I believe, why we obviously both can say that's where the referrals come from, right? Because right. if you build a history of things that work out and people like them and hopefully work out smoothly, then why would you risk going somewhere else <laughs> and try? And even if a deal doesn't go well, as long as you manage investors' expectations and keep them you know, in the loop, you're transparent about any issues, any hurdles that you're going through, most sophisticated investors understand that. I mean, they deal with it in their own businesses. Like they might have a purchase order and something gets stuck in a supply line and they can't you know, fulfill the whole order that week. They have to push it out a week. They understand these types of things and it can happen in their investment. I mean, the whole reason why I started Alternative Wealth Partners was because I worked for a private equity company with a management team that did not understand investors' expectations, know how to communicate to investors about expectations. And the line of communication from the management to the investor got so convoluted that, you know, no one really knew what was going on and the management team didn't care. And so that was kind of my aha moment that, you know, investors deserve something better and I'm going to be the one to give it to them. Yeah, absolutely. And you used the perfect word because that was just at the tip of my tongue as well. It's to some extent, I think your role or my role and people who are willing to adopt that role is really expectation management to some extent. I mean, there are a million other things as well. But there's, I've seen it many times that, you know, you have a deal and somebody had different expectations and then the skill is actually to say, well, let's see if we can realign what your expectations were with what is actually happening. And I have had several cases now where people said, well, but look at all the things that need to be fixed before we can do X, Y, Z. Mm -hmm. And my question oftentimes is, why do you automatically assume that the other side wouldn't be willing to fix them? Right. Right. And then when they actually start putting it on, I literally said, you know, just put a list, put an email or let's do a call with three-way if we need to and let's go through the list. And then at the end of the call, when the other side hung up and it's like, oh, I never thought they would have actually be agreeing to this, you know, and when that happens, then obviously the trust also grows and, and you can do more and more of those kind of deals. Yeah, so, I talk about risk all the time because, I mean, we're dealing with oil and gas. Oil and gas is very risky. You know, it's a lot less risky now than it was 10 years ago. 
and explaining those risks to investors, you know, helps them feel better, even though it's like the world could blow up. But if it doesn't blow up, we will make a lot of money. And they're like, okay, at least I know that the world could blow up. Yeah. I could also make a lot of money. And so when they understand that and they get that I know that there's risk and I'm accepting that there's risk, it's easier for them to also accept those risks. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's very important. And when you work in a field for a while, I think you would hopefully agree. There are typically indicators when things are shifting. Mm-hmm. And, and let's just, since you do oil, when all the saber rattling about the European conflict started occurring, it wasn't rocket science to say, well, if this really is going to go a few more steps, then the oil price will go up. Right. I mean, it's just a matter of are you paying attention to that or are you paying attention to other things? And the same thing, I mean, I, I've been pushing and pushing and pushing for all our mentoring clients to get their financing locked in. Because you can lock normally 60 days and with a little bit of finagling, even 90 and 120 days. And nowadays, it's actually really hard because obviously the financing institutions are all aware that there's so much change so rapidly happening. But we had a whole bunch of deals that we still got done in the last few months where because we locked in the rates when we got the approvals, we were able to basically move through and sometimes uh, forgotten. When you lock it and then you finish it and then that becomes your loan, well, that can be a 10-year, 20-year, 30-year loan that will be right. there. No, that doesn't mean you have to keep it that long, but at least you have it under those conditions, right? And so right. what I wanted to ask you is, and I don't mean this in a political way, but when you look at this really super volatile environment, I'm kind of curious how you handle those engagements with the people that you're working with when so many people regardless what particular focus they have. You can be focused on bonds or on stocks or on real estate or oil or whatever. And everything seems to be in turmoil a little bit right now. So I'm really curious, how does Kellyanne deal with her clients in light of that environment? If you pay attention to the oil market, it kind of controls everything, right? If we have cheap gas, there's a lot of like development happening. There's a lot of building happening. There's a lot of goods moving around the world. Like cheap oil is like really, really good for economic growth. When we started seeing the price increases towards the end of the year, I was like, this is really going to set a domino thing because we haven't quite gotten back to normal or even near normal from COVID. And we're all trying to get back to being normal, but the rest of everything isn't ready to handle us coming completely back you know, in real life after shutting down for a straight year. So in November, I was pretty persistent with investors of like, if you haven't taken a serious look at your overall portfolio, you need to because there's going to be some corrections happening. And if you are overexposed in one space like the stock market where you don't have any control because it's managed by a passive broker, then you should consider maybe moving that out of that you know, maybe moving into cash or moving into, this is before inflation started getting kind of really crazy, but moving into assets that are going to be more cash flowing, more tangible so that you can take advantage of, you know, that kind of holding power because your stock isn't going to hold the appreciation like real estate or the appreciation of a tangible, an asset like an oil well, right? These are things that are considered liquid, but also hold their value no matter what's kind of going on in the stock market. So there were a lot of conversations at the end of year about moving money in and out of retirement accounts, making sure that people are considering Roth conversions if they haven't already, because the rates are going to change. They are going to change something about the taxes. I mean, they do have 
have to repay the $6 trillion they printed. And <laughs> I know where they're going to go first for the money. And <laughs> uh, so if you can move your money around in a way that you're paying taxes at today's rates and not tomorrow's rates and put it in a, in a vehicle that is protected from that, like that's what we spend a lot of time doing at the, the year. Now, there's not anything you can do right now while the market's being crazy. You either have to choose to take the loss and move it into a, a more powerful asset or wait it out. But a lot of people who are in their late 60s and 70s like don't have the time to wait out another 20 years, right? Oh, exactly. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I mean, there's a little bit of a tax potential tax strategy there, right? Like if you made some really good, powerful investments in the past, you might actually want to take a partial loss. Yes. But I have to ask you a personal question, um, personal in the sense of I'm kind of sometimes struggling with it because number one, we had that and you were probably keenly aware during the pandemic where we got basic free check for $100,000 to convert, right? Like where you could have right. taken up to 100000 and do something meaningful with it instead of leaving it stuck there. <laughs> and then I did the same, like you just said, towards the end of last year to say, hey, you know, I'm not an expert in stocks, but I can tell you, I can see the macroeconomic environment. Right. I would strongly, strongly advise to correct. But the question, the more personal, what I'm struggling with is, how do you overcome when people say, yeah, I did a little, but I still have like 80% left. And I'm, I'm saying, okay, yeah. I'm glad that you listened a little bit, but why didn't you listen more? <laughs> well, they've just been trained, like pay your taxes. You do 60, 40, 60 in stock, 40 in bonds, right? right it's right, just right. been like drilled into everybody's head. Now, I don't have the same conversations with people that are 45, 55 that I have with people who are 65, 75. And it's not even fair. Like my mother's 67, right? So this is the typical accredited investor that people are talking to is a 67-year-old retiree, right? Newly retired. They're starting to access their retirement accounts. They've got social security or whatever. And my mom is way more open-minded than most people that I have conversations with. But you know, we get to a point that because of everything that's going on right now, I have to tell people that are at 65 years old that $3 million is not going to get you to the end of your life. Right. And you have to start being more aggressive um, or your the lifestyle, the, the lifestyle that you wanted in retirement, it does not exist anymore. Um, you, you missed your boat about three years ago um, to start being, uh, you know, living the high life in retirement. Um, because there's everything that's happened from 2008 to now um, is something that they're not going to be able to live through again. And right. that's what my biggest worry is, is that like, I'm young. So I don't, it, for me personally, it doesn't matter. I have my entire life to make money. I have my entire life to invest money, but my clients don't. So um, moving them out of the really volatile market uh, makes me sleep at night better because I know that they in retirement have assets that can protect their wealth, whether they're going to spend it or pass it along. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I also, I'm always harping. I think we're very aligned in our thinking on that, that it shouldn't be a binary world. It shouldn't be 70, 30 or 55, 45 or anything like that. It should be at least three or four different things, right? Mm -hmm. And some of them being more value oriented, some of them maybe more appreciation oriented, and then you can, whatever the percentages are, also have something a little more risky as long as you have somebody you trust that can help you to be in the right kind of asset class right. if you're playing some more risky stuff. But right. this whole, like you said, very rightfully so, and I appreciate that you pointed that out, this 
being hammered into our brains that it has to be binary. It has to be a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and that's the whole world. That in and of itself is already questionable. So I hope that our listeners will see, you know, here two people who actually want to teach you do not just two things, do a basket of things and have them in a good balance and adjust them as needed with the environment. Right. And alternatives shouldn't even be like a majority of your portfolio. And all I do are alternatives and I'm still like maybe 10% of your portfolio and alternatives because they are aggressive and they are more high risk because they don't, they don't correlate with anything. So they're completely relative to the asset that you bought. So I don't want somebody's entire portfolio in alternatives. You see a lot of people who have all of their portfolio in real estate. Like you shouldn't do that. You should not be 100% in one thing. Right, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I mean, you know, it's a little bit a matter of definition of alternatives, but I like the term variety. Right? Mm-hmm. Like you should have a variety of assets, some more traditional, some maybe a little more, if you would call it alternative or adventurous or whatever you want to call it. But I think that's really the right thing together with access to people who have a deep understanding of what these different assets are. And I I go even as far as when people come to me and say, hey, I've heard storage units and apartment complex or commercial real estate are something cool, where I'm the first person to say, I don't want to say they're cool or not cool, but I can tell you one thing, it's not my area of expertise. My area is in turnkey residential real estate, and I can probably challenge any rabbit to go down that hole. But The other stuff, you have to find somebody who really spent enough time to really understand it deeply enough to really give you best advice and make sure that you have, you know, a clear understanding what the risks and the rewards would be, you know. Right. We can't all do it all. Like no asset manager is doing it all. And in most cases, someone's financial advisor or their broker is doing it all. They have 100% of that person's net worth in these like predetermined plan A, plan B, plan C funds. Yeah, totally. I always say like how expensive or how much money is your convenience worth to you? (laughs) Right, right. And and one thing that people should keep in mind is that you know, in the last part of last year, the towards the end of the year, one of the things that was trying to be pushed through changing the, they're trying to get rid of the Roth conversion, right? Well, the other thing they were doing was trying to require even self-directed IRAs to only be invested in the market. So what this tells you is that they need the retirement funds to stay there or else it all comes crumbling down, right? You as an investor have the ability to take an old 401k from an old job and move it into a self-directed IRA, which is just a custodian that prevents the taxable event from happening. And then you get to direct where that money goes. And you can buy real estate. You can buy an alternative asset. You can buy an oil and gas well. Like you can do all of these things with your money you collected from that job. And it doesn't have to stay in the market if you don't want it there. But the people, you know, the powers that be want to make sure that they can control all of that because it really is, you know, the pin that can get pulled and they know it. Absolutely. I'm totally with you. And I'm even going as far as saying, you know, like when you look at the mistakes that you have made, unless you are really in that like 60s and older age range, but if you have a little bit of time ahead of you, you might as well pay the 10% and just be free. All right. So I think we had a great conversation, but we have two questions that we always ask everybody and we have to still squeeze those in. The first one is, Kelly Ann, if you had a totally free choice to meet with somebody that you always wanted to meet, who would that be? Probably Michelle Obama. Okay. And why Michelle Obama? I think, that, I think that she's very smart and I would just like to hear her opinion on the world. Did you read her book? Yes, I did. I think she's just, I think that that would just be a really interesting conversation, especially now that they're kind of like in retirement, right? Yeah. And 
right. Yeah. And just to see like what they're doing with their time and where they see the future going. Cause I, I know that they do a lot of volunteer work. They're building a lot of resources out and I just want to, you know, pick their brain. Yeah, very cool. Okay, yeah, I would probably come on and just listen <laughs> when, when yeah. you do that. Uh, the other thing is, if you had a time machine and you could go anywhere you wanted to, where would you go and why? When, where would I go? I'd probably go back to like the mid-90s when the internet was getting like really started. Okay. And just, do I go back with the same knowledge I have now? Yeah, we make that assumption. Otherwise, it's no fun. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'd probably go oh, back can, to you can't play the lottery or do bets on the stock market or something. Oh, if I was going to go back and do the lottery, I'd do that billion dollar ticket that won in like 2000. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. It would be All that right. one. But you know that will change the time space continuum, so you can't do that one. Yeah. I would go back to the mid 90s when the internet was first getting started and like create all sorts of stuff and like blow everybody's mind. I think that's what I would do. Yeah, I think that's the great idea. And that would probably be okay, right? Like it would just happen earlier than it has otherwise happened. So yeah, that's very cool. Well, thanks for sharing that both the person and the place and time. Yeah. So I want to thank you for spending time with us. So if people say, hey, this alternative stuff, that really sounds good. And Kelly N sounds awesome. How can they find you? How can they get in touch with you? It's very easy to find me. I'm all over the internet. So you can go to my website. It's alternativewealthpartners.com. There's a little bit about me, my partners, the board members that help us make the investment decisions. I think my calendar link is on there. All of my partners have my cell phone number. I'm very accessible. That's kind of the whole point of why I'm doing this. So if you want to get a hold of me, it's easy to find me. All right. Awesome. Yeah. So everybody, we put all those links and things in the show notes. So if anybody's interested, they can find them there. Kellyanne, I want to thank you again. It was really great to have the conversation, learn a little bit about that alternative space and how you have been raising the money. And I'm pretty pumped because I always like to meet people who kind of think like me. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's not very many of us so. yeah obviously yeah so well we need to stick together and yes. help the world get better right yes. thank you <laughs> okay. so much for having me yeah awesome thank you Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Ideal Investor Show. More info and the links we mentioned during the show are in the show notes or you can go to our website at idealwealthgrower.com and sign up for the Apple Podcast link. And if you like to talk to me, sign up for a strategy call. Hopefully you want to share what you learned with your network and bring more people in. We are really eager to hear your comments. And until next time, be well, stay safe and ciao.